Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook, How to Develop a Healthy Sales Culture, Eight Steps to Create a Healthy Sales Environment in Your Organization. Make sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 341. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and I am really excited to speak with both of today's guests. I've actually known them for quite some time, and I'm really glad that we could get them on the show. Joe is the CEO and chairman of the board of Perico Gas, a propane company in the Northeast U.S. He has led Perico for a little more than 30 years, and he recently published his first book, A Hell of a Ride, which is the story of his father's history and legacy as the founder of Perico. He has actually recently embarked on a new journey as a speaker and has been speaking to a number of different organizations. Christina is the Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of Perico. She spent a decade in leadership positions in the corporate world before joining the family business, and she's grown into key leadership roles, taking multiple positions over time. Her key focus at Perico is on driving strategic growth. As individuals and as a company, they are really committed to giving back to their local community just north of me in New York City, and they've won multiple awards recognizing that contribution. Welcome to the show, Joe and Christina Armentano. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you for having us. Well, I am just so glad you could be here on the show. I just shared the key bullets and some of the the key um, elements of your resume, but I know you guys are more than that. So could you just introduce yourself to our listeners? Why don't we start with Joe? Uh, thank you again, Elizabeth. I really appreciate being on the show, especially since it's uh, got a very good sales bent to it because uh, our business uh, was started in 1968 out of a garage in Mount Vernon by my father, uh, Pat Armentano. And prior to that, he was a professional salesman working for a company called Forney Industries for about 15 years, selling welding machines. Uh, and it was based on commission. And as he told me in the early days, if he didn't sell, he didn't eat. <laughs> and uh, Paraco has now grown to, we got into the propane business in 1979. As we've made over 50 acquisitions and we have about 400 employees and we're the number one independent propane marketer in the Northeast. And we still maintain both our family culture and mm-hmm. our sales culture as well. Wonderful. Thank you for that, Joe. I think that's going to be a real focus of our conversation as we continue to talk today. Um, but before we jump into that, uh, could you introduce yourself as well, Christina? Sure. Uh, and Elizabeth, thank you again for the time. Very excited to be here today with you and with your audience. You know, As you had mentioned, I had the pleasure of working outside of the family business for Uh, nearly 10 years before joining and have had the opportunity to hold various positions within the organization. And, you know, specifically for our conversations today, I've really had the opportunity to drive both our acquisition growth opportunities as Mm -hmm. well as organic growth. And what makes our company very unique is how we've positioned ourselves in in the market and looking at tools that we've leveraged from social media to marketing, uh, digital, to help grow our organization as a whole. Definitely. Thank you, Christina. So let's actually kind of jump into that. And I'm going to go back to something you said a a minute ago, Joe. Um, The company has been around since 1968. And a lot of organizations 
uh, obviously find it difficult to stay around for that long. And one thing that I think is really unique about the culture that has been maintained over that whole period of time is you've balanced a family culture and a sales culture. I want to hone in, obviously, because this is the topic of our podcast, on that focus on a sales culture. I'd love to hear kind of what that means to you and why that's been such a key focus. Well, Elizabeth, again, we're in the propane industry and in, uh, we service about 110,000 customers, uh, residential and commercial, and we do that in all different market segments, uh, uh, residential heating, cooking, hot water, commercial cooking, uh, pool heat, barbecue, et cetera, and so on, and just a few other motor fuel market. So we have a bunch of different segments that we need to drive. So obviously sales strategy becomes important because where we need to focus on those segments that are the most profitable and give us the best return is a big part of our sales strategy. And in addition, we probably, as compared to most of our competitors, we've probably spent more, uh, I would say, cents per retail gallon on sales and marketing. We have a very strong outside sales team. We have a very strong inside sales team. We have a very strong marketing team as well. So it's trying to match those resources with uh, our sales strategy that really becomes critical. And it, and it really goes to the fact of my father's early days and preaching about how sales is so important within the organization, how nothing happens without a sale, and how everybody within the organization needs to sell. And that's something that we've really tried to drive home as part of our family culture and our sales culture. Mm, that's so important. And I love that story you mentioned earlier. Um, I'm sure it wasn't fun at the time, but you know, your dad's saying, if, if you don't sell, you don't eat. And it's, I feel like there are a couple of ways that that sales culture can develop. Um, and, and they're both kind of based on difficulty, but some of us have seen organizations that have failed because they lacked an effective sales culture. And you might have had people ready to deliver a product or a service, and you had a lot of capacity, you had a lot of other organizational strengths. But if nobody's buying what you're selling, <laughs> you, you can't stay in business. And, and so that's kind of one end of the spectrum. And then you ha also have that individual recognition of if I'm either a sole proprietor, or I've started a company, or if I'm working in a role where sale, you know, maybe it's commission only and sales is literally my salary and it's going to feed me and my family. Either of those can kind of give you that real visceral understanding of the importance of sales. So do you feel like that is kind of what has, has passed through the generations and is something that, that you guys are still connected to, or has the, the kind of reason behind it, has the focus behind it changed over time? I know that's kind of a weird question, but it's, you know, it's all, can be difficult sometimes to have your father's and grandfather's um, real connection to that feeling. Sometimes it gets dissolved over time. I'm going to turn this question over to Christina, if I can, and uh, let her try the best answer that for you, Elizabeth. 
So Elizabeth, I think it's important first, as we've mentioned, our very entrepreneurial roots. Mm -hmm. And that is something that is very much ingrained still in our culture and who we are as employees within this organization. So what does that mean for us and what does it mean for actually the culture? So just as in our very early days, uh, we lived and died by the customers that we were gaining and retaining, that is still very much front and center with our mentality today. So the the care, the attention um, to our customer base and doing what is right for that group is and remains very critical. Um, what is also very unique is that entrepreneurial sense and culture doesn't only live within our sales representatives. It mm -hmm. does live within our entire organization. So we have set that expectation that our drivers and service technicians and our CSRs, those are really our ambassadors that mm -hmm. are what the customer sees every day and what also prospective customers see every day. We have successfully, after several uh, challenged attempts, rolled out a program within the last two years called Everybody Sells, which really encompasses what I think you're talking about today, which is taking a, a philosophy and then having it live on and truly drive opportunities where we are empowering not only our very talented sales team, but those that are ambassadors within our company to help push that message and bring people to the organization as a whole. And, and Elizabeth, if I can add to that, you know, not only are we very entrepreneurial, but we're also very nimble as an organization. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes you have to change strategies. I think COVID was uh, probably the, uh, the, 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 the thing that sticks out most in people's mind today of what occurred over the last several years and how organizations had to adapt to, to COVID. And uh, we obviously had to adapt our strategy, our sales resources. We had to look at market segments that were doing well and those that were not doing well. And it really had to, to, to turn on a dime. So I think the, 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 the ability for a sales organization to not only be entrepreneurial, but also, and salespeople in particular as well, not just sales organizations, both sales organizations and salespeople, not only to be nimble and entrepreneurial, but really be able to to really change and, and, and recognize opportunities that uh, come up, uh, especially in, in times of crisis or times of, 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 of uh, really big changes within the marketplace. Definitely. Uh, you guys gave me so much there. I think we've got probably topics to cover for the whole rest of our conversation. <laughs> no. So I'm going to jump back one step to Christina because you introduced the concept of the initiative right, of everybody sells and mentioned that you had maybe some trials and tribulations or some false starts as you rolled it out. Um, and I know in conversations with you years ago, that's something that you were thinking about and were working on. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about your vision behind that initiative and maybe some of the lessons you learned as you really worked to make it easy for everybody to be a part of the, the selling function. Yes, uh, love to talk about that in more detail. So 
as I did mention, we had had a couple of programs and they just were not successful. And when I came uh, on board and then was asked to run our sales department in 2018, one thing I wanted to get a sense of first was why did the programs fail before in the past? And Mm -hmm. For me, going directly to the source, so our service technicians, our drivers, our frontline employees, and wondering and asking from them, what is it going to take for you to feel engaged and empowered to be part of this program? And -hmm. what I learned very quickly is to understand that they wanted to be communicated with, understand what the program is with the opportunities that they were providing with us, understanding where those leads stood and had they been closed out, had they been communicated to from the outside sales reps and really understanding that the gap and where we had, I'll call it, maybe failed with programs in the past was making sure we were communicating to those that were providing the leads. So now creating this program that is very interactive, uh, that is very transparent, and that we are rewarding those employees for those submitted and executed leads in a very timely manner was very simplistic, it sounds like in a way, but we had to truly peel back the onion to understand where the, the challenges were. And then the benefit now is the celebration, just as you celebrate those wins that you have with your sales team when they have a big win, we make sure to celebrate those wins when we have our frontline employees engaging in this program. And then that just becomes contagious. And then the excitement becomes behind this program. And that's why it really has taken off uh, over the last two years. Absolutely. I think that's so different from how a lot of times a program like this is conceived. Because as you said, it can be really easy to say, okay, we need to make sure everybody on the team understands what a lead looks like, right? We want the light bulb to go off above their head when when there's a potential. And then we want to make sure there's a clear path for them to get that lead to the right person. They know what to say to kind of ensure it is a lead. They know what information they need to get and they know where to hand it off. And that's foundational. That's required. But what you're saying, and I think this is really important for leaders to think about, is they care. So if I have a conversation with, you know, Julio, and it seems like he's a potential lead, he owns a restaurant, they need a better fuel source, whatever it might be, and then I give you that lead, if I drive past Julio's restaurant again, if if he's in my local community, I want to know, did somebody follow up with him? How did it go? What happened? What were the conversations? And so providing that insight into the result of the, it's almost like an internal referral, right? The result of how that conversation went can be, it it can build up my excitement, my, my focus. I can see, oh, these ones worked. These ones didn't work as well. What's the difference between those? I can see, um, wow, my, my, you know, territory, my region is getting busier because these are closing. And and it really helps people kind of close the loop. I think that's a big change from how a lot of organizations address this. And it's it doesn't necessarily require a lot of technology, a lot of other systems. Sometimes it's just granting access to the data that already exists. Does that kind of um, align with, with your thinking? Absolutely. 
Yeah, it's it's funny how so often the focus is what can we get out of this team? And you've kind of cracked the code of we also need to think about what we're giving to this team, not just in a compensation um, standpoint, which I want to get to that as well, but in a feeling like they're part of something. Because if, if I feel like I'm just tossing something over a wall, that's not terribly empowering. <laughs> and that doesn't necessarily motivate me to want to do more of it because it, it kind of just enters a black box and there, there's no kind of reward system. So that's really just a, a smart um, and an important observation. But then I want to get into two things that you've done that kind of take this from a, you know, we want everybody to identify leads just like mandate and turned it into a program where people are really experiencing some of the, they're kind of stepping into a sales role. They're like putting a sales hat on a little bit, right? They're being compensated for these leads and you're celebrating wins with this team. And so you're taking that energy and that focus that comes from salespeople, that excitement when deals are closed, that excitement when you get a paycheck for something that closed, and you're, you're kind of translating that into this other role. How have you thought about what you want to replicate and how this might be different from the sales experience? Uh, qu- clarify the question in terms of how different from the sales experience. Well, obviously, um, there's some level of compensation here, but I would imagine your salespeople are compensated differently. And um, I see, I see where you're going. Yes. That. So what we do do is it has to not only be a qualified lead, but a lead that is actually closed. So mm-hmm. where again, when we went back in time and said what worked, what didn't, is we really wanted to make sure that we didn't have folks that were providing just laundry lists of uh, restaurants or residential homes, but there was some work that went into and some thought that went into providing these now qualified leads. So the way in which our system works is we pay once that lead has been closed and similar to what we do with our sales team, once that account has received its first delivery is when the individual will get paid on that lead. And we do create a um, level, a tier system uh, based on how we value the leads. So as it becomes a larger, multi-gallon, higher um, gross margin opportunity, there is a higher price payout Mm. for that lead versus um, what I would consider a lower tier, tier opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Very different if I've got a propane tank attached to my grill outside my house than if you've got propane, um, you know, to, to do the lights and the heating and everything for an entire huge construction site. Correct. That, that is really helpful because there's also something that you're doing there that, again, is kind of pulling a little bit of the sales experience into this role where if I as you know, a driver, as a tech, provide a lead and I get compensated right away, regardless of whether or not it closes, then it's just like you said, I, I'm not necessarily motivated to give you good stuff. I might be just giving you, hey, I saw, I saw a sign and I gave you the information from it. Um, but you're also, through providing this transparency, you're motivating them to see what they can maybe do to help. You know, if this is somebody that they're interacting with because they 
they need to talk to them on occasion um, based on, you know, location or where they are or anything like that. And they know that it's kind of closing, but it's moving slowly. They might be motivated to see what they can do to help. Um, again, you don't want anybody stepping on toes, but certainly they have an actual desire to see it closed as opposed to just thinking, hey, my job is done and I'm going to wait for my little, you know, the cookie that I get for doing this. Instead, you're, you're really making it significant. And I think that's a, that's a big difference in the way um, you're applying this program as opposed to how we often might see it. Mm -hmm. So something I want to get back to, because I know this has been a key focus and you touched on this, Joe, in the intro. Um, and I know, Christina, you've been a, a big part of this. So I'd love to hear from both of you. You guys have grown through organic growth as well as through strategic acquisitions. And something we often see in organizations is that as you make acquisitions, that can change the culture. That can kind of dilute the culture. You sometimes bring in elements. Um, sometimes they're positive, but often maybe they're elements of culture you don't want. And I'd love to hear about kind of the philosophy that you've undertaken as it comes to these acquisitions and bringing them into your culture and making sure that they fit into the entrepreneurial family sales oriented culture you have. So can you talk a little bit about your philosophy around acquisitions? Uh, Elizabeth, I would love to. Uh, I think we start with the fact that every acquisition is unique and different. We've done about 52 of them, uh, maybe even a little bit more. I kind of lost count. I think it's 54. And some of them have been larger, some of them have been smaller. Uh, many of them have been family businesses. Some of them have been from um, uh, uh, divisions of a, of, a, of a corporation as well, larger corporations. So they are all different. So when you basically look at an acquisition, you really need to look at the people that are involved in the acquisition. You've got to look at the management. What is their existing culture? You know, do they have a sales culture to their to their organization? You know, uh, who's doing the sales? Who's doing the marketing? You know, what is the what is the morale of the employees? Because obviously, the number one goal on all acquisitions is to retain not only the customers you're buying, but obviously retain all of the key employees that make up that organization. So once you're able to do that and retain those employees through giving them uh, your you know vision of where the organization can go and what the opportunities are for them, then you start beginning to uh, uh, transition them into your culture. And it does take some time. And depending upon, upon the organization, and we always keep the name that when we buy an organization, we keep the name of that existing organization with the customers for a period of time, normally about a one-year period. We slowly uh, uh, bring our name into, into the uh, into the into the market because we do have a regional brand paraco is a very strong regional brand and we want to continue to leverage that regional brand but at the same time we want to respect the the name and the um you know the, the company uh and and its following of customers so it does take uh, a normally about a year or so to do it but it really has been where we've been you know we've had so many different acquisitions it's not like riding a bike but we've gotten to the point where we really do recognize where we need to uh, infuse our culture, where we need to tweak it, and, and how we really get everybody on board that, so that we're all rowing in the same direction. Absolutely. I love that. And just that idea of recognizing kind of each one is a little bit unique, but you can have a consistent playbook. And 
when you're evaluating a potential acquisition, you're looking at culture and you're looking at both kind of the big picture culture and how they approach things, as well as the individuals and whether you think they would join the team and stay with the team as as they become a part of Perico and how they could contribute. I think that's a that's a great approach. Um, Christina, I know that's also been a focus of yours and, and it was kind of a step on the path that you've taken into your current role at Perico. And I'd love to hear from you, um, your experience in that role and how you learned about Perico itself and how you learned about acquisitions as you were a part of that process. So when we look at the path as it relates to acquisition opportunities, in many ways, it's very similar to a sales role. You're going out, you're building relationships, you're networking, you're trying to learn about, I'll even call it competitive intelligence, what are folks doing? Uh, You're learning about the businesses. And in many ways, just as we, uh, Perico, are selling ourselves to our residential and commercial customers, in many ways, it's very similar to building a relationship with our acquisition opportunities. Um, And the way that I approached it, and this was very much prior to to COVID, was in-person conversations, really letting these uh, prospective opportunities learn about us, learn about our culture, learn about our business. And as Joe had mentioned, many of these organizations are family businesses. So really understanding and approaching it where this is these these companies selling or potentially selling their their businesses is one of the biggest decisions that they're going to be Mm. making in their lives. So really listening to them and what's in Important to them, what their timeline looks like, was how I approached it. Um, what I do think is very fascinating as I went on my journey with acquisitions is how that strategy between organic growth and acquisition growth really overlapped. Mm-hmm. So we've had opportunities where we've continued to expand through um organic growth. And there's been territories we would love to be able to service, but because we didn't have a plant and because we didn't have a distribution center, we would be starting to look on the acquisition side. Hey, we want to go into area X. Let's see if we can find an acquisition opportunity in this area because we know it has such great sales potential. So I was also able to see firsthand how it really has to be this two-prong approach. Absolutely. I love that you that you really relate it to the sales process because I think sometimes acquisitions is viewed as separate from sales. It's kind of within the realm of finance and um, you know, legal and all kinds of, of other parts of the business. Even a lot of times HR gets gets really involved because obviously there's there's lots of people involved. And Taking that that mindset that you're selling the owners and the leaders on this opportunity, you're selling the employees on being a part of the new bigger organization and maintaining, you know, developing and maintaining those relationships, just like you were selling to them as individuals, is just as important, if not more so, um, than than just the the numbers on the screen and on the sheet of paper. That's a that's a great mindset. 
And, and to add to that, Elizabeth, uh, just to make a point on how important sales are as it relates to acquisitions, because really acquisitions are sales. Our first acquisition was in 1979, and uh, my dad had made, uh, we were in the industrial gas business, and now we wanted to buy a propane company uh, for reasons to, uh, to cut out the middleman, because propane was a big part of our industrial gas business at the time. And we went searching for a candidate. And my father took it as a, as a sales approach. He said, first of all, network with your vendors and, and they will help us, you know, find somebody that is in the propane business that may be for sale. So we, that was the first step. And we found a great candidate. The company happened to be Paraco Fuel Corporation. That's how we got the name in, in the end of 1979. And then the second step was to really negotiate with the, uh, sellers of the business. And that took a period of time. We had to develop trust, just like you have to do in the sales process. And we also had to basically understand what their needs were uh, versus what we needed to do to buy the business. And at that time, we had to make a, we had to decide that we were going to buy it as a stock transaction, which was atypical. And uh, our need was we really didn't have a lot of money. We didn't have any money at all. And you know, my dad was able to convince them that they would, we would give them the ability to sell it uh, as a stock transaction. So they would lower their taxes and they would give us some financing to allow us to buy the business over a period of time. So that was the first uh, foray into the acquisition world for us. But those lessons have carried on through many, uh, many of our acquisitions. And it really is, acquisitions is really all about sales. Finance is just a tool to get it uh, to get them completed. Absolutely. So both of you guys have touched on COVID as obviously, you know, the, the big elephant in the room, it's impacted um, us as individuals and as, um, and at a business level. And I think your business um, is somewhat unique. You know, there's, there's not a lot of businesses like that who you sell both B2B and B2C. And those are, I would say, equally important channels when it comes to um, your business. And so with COVID, we've seen both of those environments change, both in the way people buy um, and in the way they're, they're using your services, your, your products. I would imagine that you've seen some of those changes as temporary. You might have even seen some start to pivot back to where they were beforehand. And some are more permanent and they seem like they're really sinking in. So I'd love to see or to hear from you, what are some of the key changes you've seen in the way people are buying and selling? Sure. So, yes. So, so I, I'll break it into two different groups. So it is what we were selling changed a bit during COVID and then how we were selling mm -hmm. uh, has absolutely changed also as a result. So as you had mentioned, yes, our segments were definitely certain segments impacted during the pandemic. So for example, we did start to see a uptick of barbecue exchange, more people using their outdoor grill, outdoor living, um, staying more, as you can imagine, outside uh, the restaurants, uh, using outdoor uh, patio heaters, um, really a significant uptick in that segment. Um, pool uh, heat was also another segment that was very positively impacted. But what 
we had to do as an organization at that point in time, having outside sales reps and some that tended to focus uh, on uh, other segments really had to pivot our overall strategy and really start to understand the trends and how the pandemic was going to be uh, affecting our business and making sure we got in front of it. So we had the ability and very quickly, and I attribute uh, this to our director of sales and his uh, ability to move and to lead his team, we were able to adjust how and what direction and what we had our team focused on to really capture what was happening at that point in time. And then number two, how we were actually selling. Um, many people, and we can remember it wasn't too far in the, in the past, did not want to have face-to-face -face meetings. So we had to now change that approach and what developed out of the pandemic which, which was called the virtual sales assistant. We ended up really leveraging Zoom conversations, FaceTime, and interacting still with our customer base without being there in person. And we have now, which was a pilot program during COVID, but now has come through fruition where we are, instead of sending either an outside sales rep or a service technician, we are doing these virtual visits where we are there virtually on site with a customer, understanding for a new install where the tank needs to be placed, what the potential measurement needs to be. And it is now this process that was born out of COVID, but now has, um, has stuck as a great best practice right now in two of our key market areas. Mm. That's so interesting because I think a story that most of us have, have heard and have become familiar with is how often, uh, if if you have an organization that primarily sells in the commercial space and they try to pivot to residential um, and, you know, B2C, what they might have are difficulties in delivering. You know, we heard about toilet paper was made in these enormous rolls to fit in the, in the big dispensers in restrooms and office buildings. And at our houses, we don't have those kinds of dispensers. And so they had to pivot and, and kind of restructure how they were producing a product or food was in big packages designed to go to restaurants and they needed to get it into smaller separate packages so that it could be available to consumers in a grocery store. And some organizations have a heavier lift there when it comes to the actual product and what they're selling. I'd imagine for you, there's there's some of that, right? You might have needed more smaller tanks or or other things. But then there's the strategy and the approach. And so often we see salespeople and they kind of depend on one strategy and they get really good at that one strategy. You can be very successful for quite a long time with, with one key strategy. But if that blows up and you don't have the ability or the support from the organization to pivot to something new, you're just kind of twiddling your thumbs waiting for in-person to come back. And I know at the beginning of COVID, we all thought it was going to be, what, two, three weeks? And it's been a little over two years at this point. Um, and so, you know, you saw salespeople who didn't have the ability to adapt, find new jobs and, and really move around in the market. And so um, I'd love to hear just kind of about 
the support that you needed to provide to the organization, again, whether it was on the delivery side or on the sales side, I'd imagine that for some people, it was it was especially difficult. And I'd love to hear just about some lessons you might have learned in that process. I know it's a very big question, but any key best mm-hmm. practices you can pull out of it would be great. Yeah, yeah. Elizabeth, I think, you know, you think and look at COVID and both from a sales perspective, marketing perspective, a management perspective, an employee perspective, as you said before, some of the changes that occurred during that period are uh, temporary and some of them are permanent. And that's where opportunity comes in for organizations, especially sales related organizations, where they end up looking at opportunities that come out of COVID that become permanent within their organization and become part of their new culture or new way of doing business. And, um, you know, so that that's the one thing that's important. And before, I'm going to have Christina talk about some of the, the specifics that we did, but I also think that most organizations recognize that there's a difference between outside sales and inside sales and marketing and, 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 and what those costs may be within a company. And obviously for us as an organization, our most expensive uh, resource is our outside sales team. So we want to always focus that outside sales team on things that are going to give us the best return, things that we can't get from strictly marketing or we can't get from an inside sales perspective. So I think COVID has taught us some valuable lessons on how we can take our outside sales team in particular Uh, and basically make them more efficient and then obviously make our inside sales team handle certain parts of our business that they didn't handle before. So, Christina, maybe you can elaborate a little bit on that that concept and how we've kind of changed. Sure. Uh, Even prior to COVID, our foundation within our sales organization was very strong. Uh, And part of that was cross-training with all of our both outside and inside sales reps. So everyone knows how to sell all segments of our business. Um, Several years ago, our inside sales team was only handling residential. Mm -hmm. Uh, We, uh, again, prior to COVID, began to train them on how to handle certain parts of our commercial business. So the good news is that foundation was already in place prior to having to pivot. Now, did some of our reps need to have a bit more training and refreshing as it relates to the segments they were being pivoted to? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. This is where having a strong uh, sales culture is critical because these teammates, these sales uh, reps working together to really achieve an overall goal. And again, back to the use of technology. So we have been very much um, looking at technology throughout our entire business, not only an additional investment that we've put into our CRM, which is Salesforce, where we're leveraging it not only within our sales organization, but now within service that created a 
better communication stream within Mm -hmm. our sales and operations team. Because as you had even referenced earlier, yes, it's very important what you can bring in the door and what you can sell, but now can you truly deliver and execute on it? Mm -hmm. And I know I had mentioned earlier the use of now the virtual uh, sales assistant and leveraging virtual technology to shape our communication. That was very much a key element to our success. And since that was already in the works and already part of a pilot program, taking it to the next phase, we were able to build on that very, very quickly. But, you know, I will say going through the the pandemic, for us, it's always just trying to look at the silver lining. I know one of Joe's quotes is, don't ever waste a good crisis. And there are these lessons that we've learned and some the hard way, but it's going to help shape our business and how we approach sales uh, and strengthen um, our ability to do so in the future. Absolutely. Um, I love that that reminder. And just as a key principle, so often we see in organizations, um, it can be easy to avoid the cross-training and the the best practice sharing in good times because there's always more urgent stuff to do. But as you said, if you've built that foundation, uh, it's easy to kind of do some refresh and and get people reassigned and just pivoting and supporting people in this in this journey so important. Um, I've loved our conversation today. I feel like we could keep talking forever, but looking at the clock, I realize we need to wind down. So a question I always like to ask is, do you have any resources that you would recommend to our listeners? This can be something you've read or you've heard or watched that's really inspired you um, on the journey to where you are today. So Elizabeth, if I can put a plug in for my book, (laughs) uh, which a hell of a ride uh, sold by on Amazon and uh, on Barnes and Noble or at joearmentano.com. It is not a sales book. It's more about family conflict and about acquisitions and growth. But there are some very good sales lessons and sales stories in that book. And uh, on top of that, from a resource standpoint, Christina and I share, um, and and I think it came from um, my dad. My dad was a a, a huge believer in self-development and self-growth. So I think the first thing and the first lesson for everybody is to really understand that, you know, sales is a profession. My dad always considered himself a professional and you need to be committed to continue to get better at any profession that you're in. That only happens through self-development and growth. You know, Christina and I are in a CEO group called Vistage, which we've, you know, I was in for many years and now Christina's in it, I, you know, uh, and it's helping her. And they do have other elements, uh, key leadership elements, where we actually have had our sales management team be part of that organization. But whether it be, you know, a book or whether it be a video or whether it be, you know, an organization, I, I think the most important thing is really a commitment by an individual to self-development. And then by if they have that commitment, they'll find the right tools to basically mm help them learn. That's great. Thank you, Joe. The, the only, um, what I wanted to add from a resource perspective is, and I thought this may be appropriate for our conversation today, it's actually something that I had seen once hanging on the wall of one of our inside sales reps um, right outside of her, her cube. 
And it was pretty inspirational to me. And I would like it to share it with you and, and your audience. So it says, no one is saving you from you. No one is staging an intervention. You don't have goals. That's on you. You have goals, but you don't pursue them. That's on you. You're not disciplined on you. You're not motivated on you. We often think that life is the problem, that circumstances are the problem. Often though, we are the problem. Often we are the obstacles, the challenge, the enemy, the stumbling block. You save you, you stage your own intervention. That is such an awesome thing to end on, Christina. I I just really love that because um, so much does depend on that personal accountability. And, you know, even to what you were just saying, Joe, uh, self-development, if you're committed to self-development, you know, some people might have a manager or a leader or a mentor who are going to push them and, and really drive them. To, to grow and to learn. But more likely, people are going to expect that you do your job and your development is up to you. And if if you really want to pursue that, if you want to move forward, um, developing that internal grit and resilience and focus is so important. Thank you for that. All right. If listeners want to learn more about you and what it is that you're doing, where can they find you? So they can find us at www.paracogas.com. All right. And then, Joe, I think you also mentioned where people can find your book. Why don't we uh, share that again? Uh, you can find my book, A Hell of a Ride, at joearmentano.com, or you can go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Perfect. Well, thank you so, so much for being with me today, Joe and Christina. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into the show today. You can find the notes and resources for everything we've been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod three, four, one. If you enjoyed the show, please recommend it to a friend. That is the best way to help more people discover it. And if you haven't subscribed, make sure to do that wherever you're listening. That way you get every new episode as soon as it goes live. We love feedback. You can leave us ratings and reviews in Apple Podcasts or in your platform of choice, or you can email us if you've got feedback, if you've got questions, suggested guests, podcasts at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook and the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ryland Sylvester. Happy selling!